This conference is part one of a two-part series. What follows is message three of five of the Fall 2013 College Conference, recorded Saturday, October 19, 2013 in Latham Springs, Texas. Conference title is Life and Building Revealed in the Gospel of John, Part 1. Message title is The Need of the Immoral, Life Satisfying. Well, okay, we need to cover a lot in a short amount of time here, so we'll do the best that we can. Uh, Hasn't this conference been wonderful? Uh, So last night, Neil started with a kind of more grand vision of the Bible, and that is in the Bible there's two great matters, and that is life and building. And in the book of Genesis, we see even there with Adam and Eve, uh, this come out. And and, uh, with Adam there, Adam was formed of the dust of the ground. But then out of Adam's side, a rib was taken and something was built, and that was Eve. And so today, hallelujah, we have Christ as the real Adam. And out of Christ's side flows blood and water. And from that blood and water comes the church, okay? So this is a great thing to see this matter of life and building from the beginning of the Bible, consummating at the end of the Bible uh, with the Spirit and the Bride. Uh, You see this great picture from Genesis to Revelation. And in the Gospel of John, we have this same emphasis uh, with this matter of life and building. So in chapter 2, to summarize quickly, uh, in your time this morning, I hope you picked up life's principle. Life's principle is to do what? Change death into life, right? And so there's a great principle that the Lord wants to change our death into life. And then there's life's purpose, which is to do what? Build the house of God. So aren't you glad you know what God's purpose is? God wants to build His house. And this house is not a physical building. This Physical building here is not the house of God, but God is building his house in you and in me. There's a dwelling place in God that is created, and you know what? We are in that dwelling place. So, uh, life's purpose is to build the house of God. And so, then we come to nine cases in the Gospel of John that show us these two things. Changing death into life and God building his house. And so chapter 3, we see regeneration there. And we see Nicodemus, this bright guy, this older gentleman who's so moral, so high, respected, a teacher, rabbi. And uh, he's a wonderful man, yet he has a great need. And uh, the biggest thing that we see there is Nicodemus, though he's moral and high, he is snake bit. Ah! And you know what happens? What's the main concern when somebody gets bitten by a snake? Well, the poison gets in, and what's that going to cause? Death! That's a big deal. Do you know how you know we are all snake bit? One day we're all going to die. That's the fact. I've had people argue with me on campus. I have no sin. I have no sin. I say, are you going to die one day? They don't like to respond to that question. (laughs) Right? The fact is, all of us from our fathers have had sin and death passed down. Right? So unless we believe in Christ as the great I am, we also will die in our sins. 
So every man is snake bit. Everyone has the poison of the serpent passed down from their fathers. And Nicodemus, he had to have this great revelation. It wasn't just a matter of receiving some teaching. He must, he has to be born anew. Born from above or born again, he had to receive another life. So all of us, we have to do this same thing. We have to receive another life. So in chapter 3 there, we have this uh, great picture. And eventually that chapter ends with not only just a person receiving another life, but the bride. Right? The, the increase there in verse, 29, or verse 30 it goes back to verse 29, which talks about the bride. So praise the Lord for the bride of Christ. The increase of Christ. So uh, this is chapter 3, very quickly. And the reason I mention that is because this is a great uh, chapter that's in juxtaposition to chapter 4. So I want to write a few points down quickly here to see this juxtaposition here. In chapter 3, we have Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a moral man. But he was poisoned. I'm going to go ahead and write it. Snake bit. Okay? But, praise the Lord. Nicodemus had to receive the divine life. And this happens at the beginning of our Christian life, okay? But in chapter 4 here, and this is what we're coming to now in this message, what we have here is a Samaritan woman. And because of her mixed blood, she was not to be seen around the Jews, And she was not a moral man, but an immoral woman. Quite amazing, isn't it? These two cases are back to back. You have a moral man in chapter 3, and you have a woman who had had five husbands, kicked them all to the curb, living with number 6, hoping to make it work out just one more time. Okay? And she was... In a word, unsatisfied. But, you know what she started doing? She started drinking the divine life. And this is the continuation of our Christian life. Okay, so you can see these two chapters uh, next to one another. Uh, there's a real kind of a mirror image here almost uh, and a continuation in chapter four. And in chapter four here, we come to this woman, uh, very interesting story. And there's a, a lot of points. I'll do the best I can. Uh, but we see this woman who is so thirsty And, um, you know, in each of these nine cases, let me backtrack for a moment. In each of these nine cases, 
These are the first two, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, each case shows us how Christ as life meets the need of every man. Christ as life meets the need of every man. You know, at our most fundamental level, our great need is Zoe life. You know what every man needs? Zoe life. Uh, This is our great need. As men, whatever need we have, our need is life. Say that. My need is life. That's what we need. We need life. And so there are nine cases here in the Gospel of John, beginning with chapter 3 that we saw in our Bible study time this morning, and continuing with chapter 4 today that shows us how life meets every need. So there, the need of the moral is life's regenerating. Now here in chapter 4, we have the need of the immoral. This woman with five husbands and living with number six, she was unsatisfied. And she needs what? Life's satisfying. She needed to be satisfied. So, interestingly, eventually, she met number seven. And guess what number seven did? Satisfied. Praise the Lord, right? Our Christ satisfies. So, um, okay, let's go quickly through these. Uh, We won't cover every verse and every point. But on point number one here, we have a thirsty Savior and a thirsty sinner. So the Lord here, uh, he met this woman uh, at this well. And uh, verse four here, it says, He had to pass through Samaria. And uh, I love this phrase, he had to pass through Samaria, because this shows that the Lord particularly chose this woman. He was after her. And uh, it's amazing, because she was there waiting for him. And, you know, the Lord came there to touch her and to call her. And I would say even the Lord wanted to touch her evil past And he wanted to do it alone. This was a real shepherding, actually. And he did it. The sun was probably high. Uh, During the middle part of the day, when not many people typically come to the well. People, I think, at that time typically came to the well later to fill their water pots, not in the heat of the day. So the Lord met her right there. And, uh, you know, we have to realize, you know what, maybe even in the summertime, in the heat of the summer, the Lord met some of us. He came to meet us, and uh, he passed right through our campus, right where we were. And we have to say, thank you, Lord. Right, the Lord, he met us. He knew where we would be, and he met us right there. And um, in verse 7, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me something to drink. So they were both there at this famous well, uh, Jacob's well, full of tradition, full of background. And uh, the Lord met her there. And uh, it's interesting because uh, (laughs) the Samaritan woman, verse 9, moving on, then said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, who am a Samaritan woman? She knew that Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans, 
verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Um, so they're there together, and they begin this discourse. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank of it himself, as well as his sons and cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. So that water and that well uh, signifies anything that we have that we try to satisfy ourselves with apart from Christ. And the predominant characteristic of that water is that the more you drink it, the thirstier you get. The more you drink it, the thirstier you get. Uh, So no matter what that water is, it has the characteristic that if you drink it, you don't get quenched, you get thirstier. You get thirstier. So... Uh, This is, I would say, the plight of college students. So many college students actually so unsatisfied uh, with so many things. And yet drinking, 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 not just alcohol, but drinking so many things. Uh, And we have to ask yourself, what are you drinking? You know, some drink education. They get their first degree. And then I have to get my master's degree. And then my master's is not enough, so I get my Ph.D. And then with some, for Ph.D. number one is not enough. I've got to get a second Ph.D. Continually drinking. Or postdoc and professorship. You know what? Thirst again. Thirst again. You should underline those last two words in verse 13. Thirst again. That's the characteristic of drinking this water. You know, with some, maybe more the females, it's clothing. So thirsty. If I could just go buy that thing, I'll be satisfied. If I can get that pair of shoes, finally. And yet every female's closet I've ever seen has so many pairs of shoes, they don't all fit inside. I recently helped a young uh, couple move, and, uh, <laughs> and we, we just moved out boxes of shoes, boxes, boxes. And finally I said, wow, brother, how, how do you do this? He said, brother, don't even ask. <laughs> I mean, I mean boxes. I lost count at 100. And there were more coming. Don't even ask, okay? So, unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. Drinking. Drinking from this water. And uh, this, is, this is the characteristic of people in this age. Uh, just drinking from that well. So many things. Uh, and some things, uh, they're, they're high things. Other things, they're not high. They're, they're drinking just um, low things. But whatever the case, 
unsatisfied. Okay? Um, well, this great, great section here. Uh, and I put some extra verses here in John 7. And we'll cover this actually in the next conference, but just briefly here. John seven thirty seven. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, he knew. He knew how many were thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Right? He who believes into me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers. Rivers of living water, right? Uh, But this he said concerning the Spirit. So, uh, you know, it's really wonderful. This setup is here in John chapter 4. And then... With the woman in this condition, it, to me it's so touching. I read this several, numerous times to prepare. And I was just touched how the Lord uh, was there to gently come in and try to help this woman confess. If you look at the next section here, it says the way to take the living water, a to make confession of sins. And uh, I've considered my way sometimes to try to help pe- people, and I'm very harsh. And I realize I, I am not the Lord. And the Lord here, he said to her, what? Uh, Sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst nor come here to draw. In 16, he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. He's trying to help her confess. Uh, so the first point is this. You know how we really get living water? Is we learn how to confess our sins. And it's wonderful because we make a divine trade. We give the Lord our sins and He gives us living water. We confess our sins and He flows out living water. This is such a wonderful trade and this is what the Lord did here. He was trying to help her confess. And she's... Like many of us, you know, he was helping her, and then she just sidestepped. She avoided. Uh, she right away, uh, you know, she thought she was pretty smart. She said, the woman answered and said, I, don't, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I do not have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. This you have truly said. This you have said truly. Uh, so even after the Lord nailed her, he spoke to her clearly. Uh, she still wanted to change the topic in verse 19 there. And she said here, the woman said to her, him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Isn't that interesting? It's just like us, right? When the Lord has us pinned... And he knows exactly our case. And we're there. And he really just wants us to confess. He just wants us to open up to him. And if we will open to the Lord, you know what? We will get filled with living water. Um, But I appreciated how the Lord kept coming to her again and again. He just kept coming to her. And he was there patiently speaking to her and coming to her. And I feel like this is the way the Lord is with us. If you spend some time with the Lord, He's there, and He just comes to us. 
He speaks to us. You know, one thing about the Lord speaking to us about our sin is his speaking is very constant. He just speaks to us. And he'll bring it up again. If we don't confess, if we don't deal with it, we come again later, what's at the top of the list? The same word the Lord is still trying to get through. So he's asking us. He's waiting for us. He is there patiently waiting for us to simply open to him and confess our sins. And you know, it doesn't have to be a fireworks show. We just have to simply open our heart and confess and say, Lord Jesus, this is my real situation. I open to you. And I, am, I did this, and I did this, I said that, and I am, I am so sorry, Lord. I just, I give you all these things. And if we will do that, living water will flow in. Uh, so wonderful. So uh, the first way here to take living water is to confess our sins. Uh, and the barrier to our being in, experiencing the infilling of the water is not confessing our sins. Uh, this is a great thing. So when we uh, become stubborn or hard... Uh, not much water. But when we simply open and turn our heart to the Lord, then living water flows within. So this is very wonderful. Then, moving on quickly here, letter B. Um, well, actually, let's read 1 John 1, 9 all together. Let's read this first. This is a great verse. Ready? Go. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this verse here, um, so wonderful, written by the same author. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous. So uh, we have to see this as a great opportunity to be filled with living water. I hope that we learn how to not only confess our sins after a great failure, but we learn how to keep Daily short accounts. Daily short accounts. That is, just through the day, as our day is progressing, we just will confess quickly. We'll confess readily. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus. Lord, wash me again. Lord, I'm sorry I said that. And sometimes that means you need to make a quick apology to another person. You need to uh, make amends. You need to uh, somehow um, make restitution in some cases. But whatever the thing the Lord is speaking to us, keep short accounts. Don't let things pile up. Um, otherwise, it becomes a, a bigger ordeal and much, much harder. So if we can have a good confession this weekend, if you didn't have one this morning, maybe tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, later, you can just spend a few minutes to have some confession so you can receive some real infilling of the living water. Okay? Then, moving on, letter B, uh, to contact God the Spirit in the human spirit and in truthfulness. Uh, so the Lord here is pointing her to... The human spirit. This is so marvelous here. I think probably most have seen this diagram, but I'll draw it anyway. 
Man has three parts, a body, a soul, and the spirit. And the woman here is in her mind, which is the leading part of the soul, trying to deal with the Lord. But the Lord wants to bring her to her spirit, which is the deepest part. And in this deepest part, she can contact and worship God. And this section here tells us clearly that he desires the true worshipers to worship in their spirit in truthfulness. And this is... uh, when he says in spirit and truthfulness here, he's talking about the real worship happens in the Old Testament. The worship happened in a particular place. And that place was in Jerusalem, in the temple, at the altar. And it was with the offerings. In the New Testament, the real worship is in spirit. It's not a physical place any longer, but it's the spirit of man. And it's with Christ as the reality of all the offerings. So this is the real worship of God. And this is the way that we partake of the living water as we enjoy Christ in our spirit. So this weekend, have you not touched some living water? When we exercise our spirit, we receive Christ, we enjoy Christ, and we worship God with our spirit. We drink living water. Uh, so, so wonderful uh, to be brought into this and to have an intimate, uh, even this word worship here uh, has the thought of to come forward and kiss. This word is to come forward and kiss, and it's very intimate, loving him, uh, kissing him, and being related to the Lord in a very personal way. So we open to him, we give him our sins, we make the divine trade, and then we learn how to Worship Him in spirit. Okay? Uh, Amazingly, in the previous chapter, this was also emphasized in John chapter 3, when the Lord was talking to Nicodemus, uh, He was telling him how to be born again. He was was unveiling that this divine birth happens in the spirit. So both of these chapters really emphasize this matter, the human spirit. Okay? Okay. Uh, Then letter C here, finally here, we have uh, the way to take the living water is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. So we confess, we contact God in the Spirit, and we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And in this way, we partake of and enjoy living water. Um, Well, um, I'm sorry I'm... I'm buzzing through this, but I want to get to this next section here, uh, Roman numeral 4. Let's read Roman 4 together. Okay, I'll go through this section now here. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Um, And at this point his disciples came, they marveled that he was speaking with a woman Yet no one said, what are you seeking, or why are you speaking with her? Uh, Then verse 28, then the woman left her water pot. Praise the Lord. She left it. She left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I have done. So He left the water, she left that water pot, and she ran to the city. Now, where do you imagine that she ran 
And does she just run around screaming through the streets? What do you think? You have any thought? She probably ran to that list of persons that Tim made right in front of us. Probably she ran, first of all, to her relatives. And then secondly, to her close friends. Right? She probably ran to those persons first to tell them who this person was that she contacted. And as a result of of running to them, what began to happen? Verse 30, you should analyze the word they. They went out of the city and came to him. So she went after getting a big drink herself and getting filled with living water. She ran out to the city. And surely she ran to those people that she knew. And even friends that she knew and people that she knew. And probably eventually told others as well. But certainly there was probably some that she was related to and acquainted with that she wanted to come and release some living water to. And said, come see a man. Come see a man. Say that. I hope that's on our lips when we're with our friends. Come, you need to see a man. Can I introduce you to a man? Let me tell you about this man. Oh, what a man, right? So she was here, and uh, we don't know all the details, but we know that she was there speaking to these persons. And so. In the meantime, okay, the disciples are talking about the matter of eating, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples therefore said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They were certainly lost in the physical realm, right? Like, you know, who's brought Jesus some food? But he was talking about something else completely here. Uh, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then the harvest comes? Behold, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And I would just uh, echo this. Brothers and sisters, we need to lift up our eyes. Uh, As the fields were white then, surely they're even more white now. And look on the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So today, there's not a better time in anyone's life than to be on a college campus and lift up your eyes and realize now is the time to say, come see a man. And I I was so appreciative of all these young students. They're talking about other students that they spoke to and got to speak to. Uh, It's so good because, as the one sister testified, there's so many walking around. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're thirsty. And they're looking for what will satisfy them. They know they're not satisfied. They're they're doing so many things to try to satisfy themselves, and yet they're still so unsatisfied. But this woman, she got a big drink, and she ran out to the city, and she ran to these people and said, Come see a man. Uh, So, so many testimonies uh, about this matter. And to me, it's just uh, so marvelous that... As a young college student, um, you could take this kind of opportunity to speak to your friends, your classmates, your workout mates, your, uh, the people that you're in the cafeteria with, 
your study companions and so forth, to speak to them, to open to them, and to just share the living water that you got. Now listen, after you get, get back from this weekend, one of the most common questions is, what did you do this weekend? Yeah, I found him. So it's a great opportunity to flow out some living water. And as you're there among the persons that you know, the ones you're related to, uh, you just can speak this kind of word. Come see a man. And, um, you know, I, I like this phrase here, lift up your eyes. That means the opportunity is now. That means the opportunity is today. Lift up your eyes. Uh, Why does it say that? That means that our eyes are down. And they're down on our our own things. Our own concerns. Our own desires. Uh, We're concerned. You know, I got to make that A in that class. So important. I mean, the future of the universe depends on it. And uh, I, have to, I have to go work out. I mean, we need guns these days, right? <laughs> and uh, I, have to, uh, I have to go buy that other pair of shoes. They're so important. Just many times we're just looking down, right? But this verse here says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Say that. Lift Yeah, we have to lift up our eyes and realize the Lord has put so many people right in front of us. And these people are the unsatisfied ones. They're so thirsty. And the Lord, as the thirsty Savior, is seeking them. By the way, you know what? Neither the Lord nor that woman ever drank from that well. But you know what? They both drank each other! The Lord drank that woman, and the woman drank the Lord. And this is the kind of drinking that we need to have. So as we lift up our eyes and as we're enjoying drinking the Spirit, day by day, confessing, opening, exercising our spirit, learning how to worship God in spirit and in reality, and believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, you know what? We get filled with living water And as we get filled with living water, eventually we will reach the point you just can't keep it out of us. And water will just splash out. Water will just come out. Maybe you're just humming something. And someone will say, what in the world are you humming? then you're caught. Water has to come out, right? Water has to splash out. And uh, if we're filled with living water, you know what? Spontaneously, people will get the living water. So we have to really focus on being filled morning by morning with living water. And this water will then just come out spontaneously. The real gospel is not us gritting our teeth, uh, But it's a living, and it's an overflow of the living water. The real gospel is that we're people that we're filled. 
We're people that in the morning we spend a few minutes, we confessed, we opened, we touched the Lord as living water. And then during our day, people just get wet. They get touched. They get splashed on because we spent a few minutes to get filled. Maybe we got with some brothers and, and spent some time to pray and to pray, read the word and to enjoy Christ. And spontaneously, that living water just flows out. So I hope no one leaves today thinking that the gospel is a, a matter of effort. The gospel is the overflow of living water. And when this happens... People, they touch others who are satisfied. They touch people who are satisfied, and they see that, they want that, and then Christ can fill them as well. Okay, uh, moving on here, verse 36, it says, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, in order that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So I like you to underline in verse 36, gathers fruit. Gathers fruit. I hope in your college years you can have a gathering fruit life. Just year after year, you can gather fruit. Listen, your college years, they pass so quickly uh, and they're over. Uh, but if you will spend your years gathering fruit, you know what? There will be an eternal reward. So as important as your classes are, as important as your career is, as important as all these other things, this is the most important. Gathering fruit unto eternal life. What a phrase. Uh, okay. Uh, and it says here, for, this, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Uh, and many of the Samaritans from that city believed into him. Listen, because of the word of the woman who testified. So, listen, as we're there enjoying living water, and we just start to speak to people around. You know what? In some cases, we'll just be sowing. Some people will hear about the Lord for the first time. In other cases, people have heard about the Lord, and they're ready to receive Christ right then, and you will reap. And it's a joyful thing to pray with someone and to lead them to the Lord for the first time. Just uh, so, uh, as the brother testified, as Neil shared last night, maybe the most joyful day of your whole life is when you can actually lead someone else to Christ and they receive eternal salvation. So marvelous. So this is a life that we live sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. I hope you can look back. And in 10 years after you graduated from college, you can just look back and say, what were my college years? Sowing and reaping. How would you classify your college years? Well, you're in the middle of them now, most of you, but there's a number here who are beyond that. You have to consider, what were your college years classified as? Could you say they were sowing and reaping? Well, I hope we could look back. After you finish college and say, you know what? My college years were sowing and reaping. You know, in Genesis chapter 5, on the line of life there, those people, the genealogy of those people, it says there, they lived and begat, lived and begat, and they died. They lived and begat, they lived and begat, and died. And you could say the same principle 
You know, the thing that's going to really matter when our life comes to a close is did we sow and reap, sow and reap, sow and reap. All the other things, that, that grade, that test you have to take Monday morning, you're so worried about, I know it's important, and you do need to study. I'm not saying don't do that. But what really matters is you have to learn to sow. Sow and reap. That comes down to some practical things. When, if you're a sowing person, maybe you would carry some gospel tracts in your pocket. And you would just pass some out, hand some out to people. You would share something with people. Um, maybe you would keep your Bible with you. Maybe a little pocket version. Uh, I had a little pocket version I kept all the way through college and it was torn up. It's because it got pulled out a lot. And it was very convenient to have a, have a little version just with you all the time. Uh, maybe you would uh, know it would be important to you when different homes are open so that you would know when you could bring someone to that place. That's because you're living a life of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. This, is a, this should characterize our whole Christian life. Okay, I need to move on quickly here. Uh, so, eventually, uh, this woman, she reaped a great harvest. A great harvest. And you know what, young people? I believe the Lord wants to reap a great harvest. Even to this day, you know, just recently I was looking at uh, um, the Great Awakening in Wales and reading. And, you know, the Lord, he just swept an entire country with the gospel. And the Spirit just got poured out. And I believe the Lord can still do that today on our college campuses. And it just has to be with a group of people who are being filled with living water every day. And I believe just if the people in this room committed to being filled with living water, the Lord could pour out His Spirit on the college campuses in this country. And the Lord could sweep through like a fire. Uh, and we just have to believe and realize the Lord would like to do that. But it comes down to us taking in living water day by day. Uh, okay, so this marvelous harvest poured forth. And the Lord got a lot of glory with all these ones saved. And this is quite, quite, a, quite a picture here with this Samaritan woman here. And you know what? She got satisfied. She got satisfied. She was so unsatisfied. Husband number one. Husband number two. He was a bum. Husband number three. Uh, never picked up his socks. Husband number four. Listen, all these husbands, they represent all the things that we would try. All the things that we would join ourselves to, to try to receive some kind of satisfaction. This woman, she tried this, she tried this, she tried this. So unsatisfied. Eventually, you know what? She got living water. She finally met the Lord Jesus and she got living water. And she was so satisfied. Anyway, so wonderful. So... Uh, we'll move on quickly now to the need of the dying. This is uh, the next case. At the end of chapter 4, okay? <clears throat> and again, life meets every need. And this case is a little more simple, but the point is very clear. 
Um, and so let's take a look at it here. Roman numeral one. Read Roman one together. Ready? Go. Okay. In verse 46 here, let's just bump straight on to there. It says, He then came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. And Cana of Galilee uh, is a land of reeds. And a land of reeds there signifies weak and fragile people. So this shows us that all of us are weak and fragile people. We're all weak and we're all fragile. Uh, And I would even say we're all dying. We're all dying. Um, (laughs) You know, in Psalm chapter 90, uh, it says, You may live to 70, and if by strength of your years you live to 80, you've lived a long life. Uh, So, as you're getting older, uh, you're also, you're dying. So, we might say, well, I'm living But actually, every year, there's a subtraction. And we're getting one year closer to the day, if he doesn't come soon, that the Lord will take us. And so all of us are weak, fragile, and dying. Okay? Um, Okay, in Roman 3 there, let's just move on quickly there. Let's read that Roman together. Go. So here, um, the, Lord, the Lord goes, the Lord is there. Uh, well, to back up 48, he says, Jesus therefore said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my little child dies. And so the Lord didn't go, but the Lord just spoke a word. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. Underline that. Go, your son lives. The Lord spoke a life-giving word. Uh, And then it says, The man believed the word which Jesus said to him and went his way. So as he was going down, his slaves met him and said that his child was living. So he asked them the hour in which he got better. They said then to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Then the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he believed, he and his whole house. So, um, you know, we have a great need also to be healed because we're weak, fragile, and dying. And we're weak in so many areas, Um, I'll just bring up a few areas. You know how we know we're, we're weak? It's because it's so easy for us to be offended. So easy for us to be offended. This is how we know we're weak. And when we get offended, then a barrier comes in. And this is, a, this is not a good thing. So uh, we have to realize um, we need healing. And that healing comes from the life-giving word of the Lord. Um, So when we go to the Lord, we can get healed. If an offense comes in, we have to learn 
Don't dwell on the the offense. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. And uh, in Ezekiel 47, you know, in this chapter, there's a river which flows out of the house and actually flows towards the east. It flows towards God's glory. But the thing is, is wherever this river flows, it heals. And so when we come to the Lord, you know what? We have to come to that river and we have to get the healing. Sometimes we get offended with another brother or sister, even among us. Maybe we get the most offended with them. And we have to learn how to go to the Lord, go to the river, and get the healing. You know, when we come to the Lord, we just get healed. When we get a living word from Him, we get the healing. Some people, they get offended, and they remain in that fence the rest of their life. And you know what? That becomes a great, great problem for them. Because they, in many cases, separate themselves from many other people based on that offense. But when we enjoy coming to the Lord, we get the living water, we get the river of water of life, and that river brings healing. And we need that healing because we are weak and fragile people. And as we receive the river of water of life, that healing transpires and we get restored to the body of Christ. So this is a wonderful thing. Then another point here um, to see how we're weak is that, you know, in Philippians 2.14, this verse says, Do all things without murmurings and reasonings. Um, Do all things. That verse really does say all things. So uh, oftentimes we just find ourselves murmuring. And even if we manage to bridle your tongue and not let it slip out, what's still in your heart? Is there murmuring there? Is there reasoning there? Uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is our case. Um, Recently, I visited a brother's house, and he started telling me, nobody, nobody ever washes the dishes. And uh, sure enough, there's a huge pile in the, in the uh, sink there. <laughs> and so, um, so what was I to do? So I said, brother, come on over here. We'll just, we'll, we'll put aside our reading for right now. Let's just, let's do some dishes together, brother. And so we just began to wash dishes. And uh, we ended up having wonderful fellowship. And, uh, you know, the murmurings, they just ceased. And we, we got to the river. And as we got to the river, you know what? All the things were healed. All the inward problems, the wounds. And uh, this is all our case. All of us have this weakness. And we need to get to the river. And when we get to Him, when we come to Him, those things in us, uh, they, they just, by the Lord's mercy, can be healed up. And we can be brought back into the fellowship and restored in our fellowship, one with another, and even among all the saints. So this is a, this is a big thing. Um, so I would say, in one, in one sense, the healing comes from the Lord's Word directly. Uh, many times uh, we need healing. We just need to come to the Word. And as we open the Word, the Lord can speak to us and touch us, and we get a direct touch from the Lord. Sometimes, though, we do that and we just don't feel like 
something has happened. In that case, we need to go to the saints. You know, the saints are many dispensers of life. And the saints are filled with the river of water of life. And as we come to the saints and open to them and fellowship with them, you know what? The river comes. And as the river comes, we get the healing. And so we, even as a weak and a fragile people, can still touch the healing element of the river of water of life. So this is so wonderful. Well, um, this is the life-giving word, the healing by the life-giving word and through believing. And as we do this, we receive such a word. Uh, And this will bring us back into fellowship and we get restored to all the other members of the body of Christ. Okay, one more case that I just want to mention, since I only have a couple minutes left here, and that's the next case, okay, which is John chapter 5, okay? Uh, and there's, no, there's no part of the outline on this, but it is the next case, and uh, I'll just speak briefly about this, and then tonight, Brother Colley will go on with uh, John chapter 6, but I just wanted you to realize we have nine cases, and these are the beginning cases, John chapter 3, which is what? The need of the moral, life's regenerating. Here we have in chapter 4, the need of the immoral, life's satisfying. And then John chapter 5 here, what do we have here? We have the need of the impotent man, right? In this case here, in John chapter 5, this man had been laying by the pool for 38 years, uh, hoping to jump in the water when the angel stirred the water so that he could be healed. But eventually, again, also, the Lord came in with a life-giving word and told this one, Take up your mat and walk. The Lord spoke to him a life-giving, a life-empowering word and enlivened him uh, by this word. And so this person who was impotent to carry out uh, the religious thought at that time, he was impotent. He needed life's enlivening. And this came from the, from the Lord's word as well. So again, you see in chapter 5 here, life meeting the need of every case. In chapter 3, you have a moral man. He needs life. In chapter 4, you have an immoral woman. She needs life satisfying. In chapter 5 here, you have the need of an impotent man. He needs life's enlivening. So case after case after case, we can see that Christ as life, Christ as the Zoe life, meets the need of every man. So uh, this is the book of John. John is uh, marvelous because it emphasizes life and building. As we enjoy life, God is producing His building. We're not just uh, here on the one hand to simply enjoy life individually, but as we're participating and enjoying this life, God is producing His building on this earth so that we could be fitted and knit together, and eventually God could have his bride. Hallelujah. Our God wants to get married.
You know, this is in every young person's heart, the desire to be married. But our God, this, this reflects his desire. He has been after a counterpart for millennia. And as we enjoy this life, not only do we get, what, regenerated, we get satisfied, and we get enlivened, but God is getting his bride. Anyway, praise him, right? Praise him for this marvelous view in the book of John where life meets the need of every man's case. Amen.